Is that okay? All right. Well, we got to do what the Lord says do, so that's what we'll do. If y'all want to do that, we'll continue on that. I don't know if anybody got anything out of it, but I like to do what the Lord says. Is that okay? All right, so we'll just go right into it again, and we'll just hit off with talking about what we talked about last week. Uh, how many of you weren't here last week, so we know how much? Oh, not too many, so we're, we're in pretty good shape in Branson. I don't know how many that was. We probably couldn't see their hands if they showed it to us, so we'll just believe God. Hey, guess what? There are free, I was going to call them eight tracks. <laughs> Real to reels back there that you can go and get if you would like one. No, they're downloads or they're CDs or whatever you want to call them, but you can get them, and they're absolutely free. If you really missed last week and you want to hear it, you, you can still do that. So I won't take the time to go over it all, but you can get it. But we talked about the anointing last week, and uh, the anointing is a very, very precious, holy thing. And uh, I believe it's vital to us today. I believe it's something that we have to have in order to exist and do what God's called us to do. And in the Old Testament... You know, we talked about that not everybody had the anointing in their lives, that um, only certain people had the anointing. The anointing was kept, you know, locked up in the beginning in the Holy of Holies, you know, and nobody had it. But then God would anoint certain people like the, the prophets and the pastors and, and the priests. Uh, uh, well, it was uh, the king and the priest and the prophet uh, to... Um, have the anointing on their life in order to serve and do what he called them to do. So uh, we talked about that some. But I want to get just a little bit more tonight into uh, the anointing and, and maybe more about what the anointing is and how you have it and what you do with it and that sort of stuff. So let's, if we would, real quickly turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15 because I want to read the whole chapter in the NIV and I'm going to believe God that you're going to stay hooked with me tonight. Can you do that? Because I want to try to get through because Keith is coming back. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of stuff to try to get through tonight because the anointing is such a big subject. Now, you understand that I'm talking about the anointing to minister, right? I'm not talking about the anointing that we have to flow in our everyday lives. I'm talking about the anointing to minister from the pulpit, per se. I'm talking about the, the anointing that a minister has in order to minister to you. And uh, I'm talking about us believing for that so that we can get the corporate anointing, so that we can get things to happen in the services and that we can see more of the anointing happening in people's lives. Do you understand that? That's what I'm believing for. Can y'all believe for that? Okay, good. Okay, this says, um, um, NIV, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Everybody there? If not, look up at the screen. It says, Samuel said to Saul, I am the Lord, the one... I am the one, the one the Lord sent to anoint you, king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the... I'm going to try to read too fast and miss half my words. Amalekites for what um, they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from uh, Egypt. Now go and attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women. Now hear this. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Is that pretty clear? Okay. 
So Saul summoned the men and mustered to them to Telium uh, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Canaanites, Go away and leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to all the Israelites when, you, when they came up out of Egypt. So the Canaanites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Halbia, um, yeah, okay, to Shur, to the east of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and all his people. He totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared, wait, what did he say? Spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle and the fatted calves and the lambs and everything that was good. Now, what did he say back up in um, verse 3? destroy them all but this said that they spared some of them right okay um these were these they were unwilling to destroy completely but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed then the word of the lord came to samuel i am grieved that i made saul king because he has turned from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up, and he went to meet Saul. But he was told Saul had gone to Carmel. There he, was, there he has set up a monument in his own honor, and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. The soldiers? Not even man enough to take responsibility for what he did. They spared the best of the sheep and the, and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although, now listen to this, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribe of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. He sent you on a mission saying, Go, completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on and plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from their plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God, at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as in obeying the voice of God? 
to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. Because, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Now, if you want to understand my definition Phyllis Moore definition of the anointing, that was it in a sentence. You have rejected the word of the Lord. The word to me for what the anointing is, obeying the word of the Lord. To me, that would be what the anointing on a person means, to obey the word of the Lord. Because it's God that gives you the anointing, and it's God that can take it away. And it seems that people forget that small point. Because the very one that gives that anointing is the very one that can do what? Take it away. When God says do something, what does he require? That we obey him. Why did he reject Saul as being king? Because he was mean? Because he did not obey him. Of all the things that he did, he was king for, what, 40 plus years. And he rejected him because of one thing. What was the one thing? We need to get that very clear. Why did he reject him from being king? Because he did not obey him. Why did the anointing come off of Saul? Because he didn't obey him. Let's keep reading. He has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people. How many pastors, how many ministers, how many men of God can say that very sentence? I was afraid of losing people in my congregation, so I gave in to them. And they've lost the anointing on their lives. How many people can say, I didn't do it God's way, so I lost the anointing on my life? We started doing this in our church because I was afraid of what the people would say. We didn't do this in our church because I was afraid we would lose half the crowd. We did this in our church because I was afraid we would lose half the crowd. Or we started not doing this because I was afraid we'd lose half the crowd. How many of you ever heard people say that? We don't want to do that, guys. What would you want Keith and I to do more than anything else as your pastors? Be anointed of God. What is going to help you the most in your lives? The anointing is us hearing from God and being able to give you what God tells us. 
whether you agree with it today or not, it's going to be the thing that helps you is the anointing and us directly hearing from God. So we would never want to do anything that would jeopardize that. And if he says, no, we don't do this on the platform, or no, we don't do this this way, or no, we don't do that that way, and you may think, well, that's just mean. Why can't we have that kind of thing? Or why don't we have this at our church? Or why don't we have this at our church? Or why can't we do this at our church? Or y'all are just mean. You know, there's a, we have, this one pastor friend said um, this, he, he had one of his biggest givers in his church. And uh, he came to him, he said, now you know what? If you don't quit teaching on that, I'm not going to your church anymore. And he was sitting across the desk from him. And he said, I knew that the Lord, had, he's telling Keith this, he said, I knew that the Lord told me to teach that particular subject. And he said, so what am I going to do? He said, not only is it his family, but it's his extended family. And they're all big givers in my church. He said, man, he said, I got to teach it. The Lord told me to teach it. And he said, now as he is walking across the, the parking lot, you know, he said, God, there went my biggest giver. And the Lord looked, said in his heart, he said, no, I'm still here. <laughs> and that's the way it is. You have to do what the Lord tells you to do. Because you don't want to just do what man tells you to do because they could be right today and wrong tomorrow. And fickle the day and like you tomorrow. You know, so we got to do what God says do. So this is what he said. I was afraid of the people and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught him. Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one who will be, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind. For it is not a man, for he is not a man that he should change his mind, Saul replied. I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him confident, confidentially, thinking, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, as your sword has made many women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord of Gilgal. Then Samuel left Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gilbeth of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord was grieved that he had made Saul king over Israel. Do you think that was a sad day for the Lord? You know it was. He anointed him to be king. He appointed him to be king. Now, there's another situation I want us to read before we go on so that you understand the seriousness of this. When God anoints someone to be king or God anoints you to do something, he takes it serious that we listen to what he tells us to do. He takes it serious that we don't just 
he did part of what he said, but not all of what he said. We can't go in and say, okay, God, we're going to do this part, but we don't like this part and change it and twist it around to make it fit what we like. Because when God tells us to do something, His end result matters. Though we can't see it, we don't always understand it, but He knew the Amalekites, what they would do, what they they had that bitterness in their heart, and their generations from then on were going to be bitter from then on. And He wanted them all dead. And He said, kill it all. But we don't have to understand what God is telling us to do to do what He tells us to do. We just have to obey Him. And that's why so many times God will pick people that in appearance sake, it looks like, okay, I'll just say it. They may not be the brightest candle in the store. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? Why would He have a dumb blonde up here teaching? Now listen to me. I'm serious about this. I'm serious about this. Why would he why would he pick somebody like that? Not because I'm so smart. Because the thing he looks at isn't how smart somebody is. What he looks at is just last week after I taught one of the most I think honoring text I have ever got and all the text I've ever gotten is somebody texted me and said, Mrs. Moore, the one thing I love about you most is it doesn't matter what God tells you to do or what anybody thinks about it. You're just going to do it. And, you know, that, that was very honoring because it's always been that way with me. I don't care if you think I am dumb or if you think it won't work. Or, or what you think? If I think with all my might God told me to do it, hey, we headed for it. Is that right, Rob? If, if you say it can't be done, if you say there's no way it'll work, if you say, if Keith says God told me to do this, then I'm going to gather everybody that there is around us and we're going to get it done. Because God said, let's do it. And you know, that's the thing about Oral Roberts. God said, build me a university. And Oral Roberts probably didn't have two nickels to rub together. And what did he do? He built him a university. That's why, he, that's why God chose people like Oral Roberts. Why did God choose somebody like Kenneth Copeland? Because he was so smart. I, I guarantee you, Brother Kenneth's favorite store in the whole wide world is Walmart's. <laughs> Because he would obey him. Because he would do what he told him to do. It didn't matter how much money he had. It didn't matter how much stuff he could do. If he tells him to do something, the things of God are going to come before his family, before his life, before anything else. God is going to come first. And the things of God are going to come first. And that is what it takes for the anointing of God to be put on a person and that person to be used of God. Thank you, Lord. 
Now, if you get a person of God that God will use of God and that anointing on that person or on that ministry and you get a crowd of people that believe in that person and believe in that anointing on that person and are believing with that person, what do you think is going to happen? What will happen if you think that somebody has the anointing on them and you truly believe that God is using that person? And you're not double questioning. God says, okay, Brother Keith comes in here and he says, okay, God told me today that everybody in here is supposed to stand on their head for four hours. Well, now, Brother Keith, why would we need to stand on our head for four hours? Huh? If nobody questioned what Brother Keith said and God said for us to do this, what do you think God could do for us? Make us do it. Let us do it. It's the same way with Brother Kenneth. It would have been the same way with Brother Oral. But what's happened is nobody respects the anointing anymore because too many people have abused the anointing. Too many people have said, I'm anointed, and they've called themselves anointed, and they've gone off and done stupid, dumb stuff under the guise of the anointing, and nothing happened, and so people have dissed the anointing. So we got to get to where it's kind of like what the Word says about... uh, Lord, bring it back to my remembrance about uh, uh, not loving the Holy Spirit. Somebody quote it to me real quick about, um, oh, come on, y'all know it. Uh, huh? Don't gr- not, not grieving it, but we should never um, aff- not even quench it. Uh, anyway, I'll think of it in a minute. The Lord will bring it to my remembrance. But I... Uh, uh, we should never blaspheme. Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. We should never blaspheme the Holy Spirit. But it's the same. We're we're blaspheming the anointing in a sense, because it's like somebody that doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit. So they're going to blaspheme it because they saw somebody else do something weird with the Holy Spirit, so something goofy with the Holy Spirit. So they don't believe in the Holy Spirit anymore. So they say something negative about the Holy Spirit. Well, it's the same thing with the anointing. People have said, that's not the anointing. Because they saw somebody do something goofy with it or weird with it. We've got to get to where we begin to trust someone and believe in someone with the anointing. And you know how you do that? By checking inside here and checking the fruit. Don't just go with everything, but at some point in time, you need to begin to trust what you get in here. And you need to begin to say, yeah, 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 yeah. Like at the beginning of the service. Was that the anointing? Could you sense the anointing? Well, when you sense that, you need to go with it. You don't need to pull back. You need to go with it then God can start doing some things. Well, let's look at another situation here. Let's look at Samuel here again in the second chapter, um, uh, verse 27. 
I'm thinking it's uh, still 1 Samuel. But if it's not, we'll put up 2 Samuel. Yeah. And there came a man, and we'll go down to, to verse 35, so keep reading with me. And there came a man of God unto Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when they were in Egypt, in Pharaoh's house? Now let me remind you, for some of you who are not real Bible scholars like I was most of my life when I grew up a little bit. Now Eli was the son of Ithamar, the fourth son of Aaron. He was like... Not the first son of Aaron, not the second son of Aaron, not the third son of Aaron, but he was his fourth child, okay? All right? Now, which, who was Aaron? Moses' older brother. Okay? So we're all clear who this was. Eli was Ithamar's son, which was Aaron's son. Okay? So he was actually his grandson, Aaron's grandson, all right? We're clear on this. So he kind of knew the things of God. He'd been around it all of his life, right? Okay. And I did choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest and to offer upon my altar, to burn incense and to wear the ephod before me. In other words, the Lord chose him. And I did give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel. Wherefore... Kick ye at my sacrifices and at my offerings, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest not thy sons above me to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of my people. Wherefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. In other words, this was going to be yours forever. But now, the Lord says, Be it far from me, for them that honor me, I will honor. And them that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the day shall come that I will cut thine arm Cut off thine arm and the arm of thy father's house, and there shall not be an old man in thine house. And thou shalt see an enemy in my habitation in all thy wealth which God shall give Israel. And there shall not be an old man in thine house forever. And the man in the, of thine whom shall not be cut off from thine mine altar shall be consumed before your eyes and to grieve thine heart. And all the incense of thine house shall die in the flower of thine age. And this shall be a sign unto thee, and it shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And in that day shall both of them die. Shall die, both of them. And I, now this is the part you need to get. You want to know the definition of anointing again, all right? Here it is. And I will raise up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. What is the definition of anointed? Somebody please tell me. Amen. 
somebody, an anointed person, an anointed, someone that God puts his anointing on is someone that will obey and do what God says do. God is looking for faithful people that he can anoint that will do what he says do. God doesn't care how smart you are. He doesn't care how handsome you are. He doesn't care how good looking you are. He doesn't care how pretty you are. He doesn't care how much money you have. He doesn't care how known you are. He can give you every bit of that stuff. What he cares for is people that when he says, do this this way, they will take it almost to the letter of the law, doing exactly what he said do. If you remember in the New Testament, what did Jesus say all the time? I only do what I see my Father do. Jesus was the perfect example of the full anointing being on somebody's life, and he only did what the Father told him to do. The Lord anoints people that will do what he asked them to do. Now, if, if you'll notice, in the New Testament, God anoints people all the time. He says in Corinthians, he says, there's diversities of gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read them to you real quickly. There's diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's diversities of administrations, but the same Lord. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit who? With all. With all. It's to profit everybody. everybody yep. To one is given the Spirit of the Word of Wisdom. To another, the Word of Knowledge. To another... Um, it says faith, but special faith to another, the gifts of healing to another, the working of miracles to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another divers kinds of tongues to another, the interpretation of tongues. These all worketh um, that one and selfsame spirit. Now, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about all the years that Keith and I traveled. And I was thinking about us as pastors. We've had the privilege of being able to do both. And I was thinking about the anointing. And I was thinking about how detrimental it is in the anointing that one person tries to do it all. And that's part of the problem where the anointing is when one person tries to do everything. Say, for instance, a pastor tries to do everything and he doesn't necessarily have... Uh, word of knowledge or he doesn't have gifts of healings or he doesn't have all these things operating in his life and he tries to operate them in his life and falls short in that area then it can leave uh, a sour taste maybe in the people's mouths but that's where the gifts of the evangelist and the prophet and and the traveling people that come in have you know, we have traveled like that, and and we've had other people come in our church, and they have ministered things. I know Brother Jesse and Brother Jerry and Brother Kenneth and Miss Gloria have had healing meetings and things, and things have been called out. And when they do those sort of things, when we know those things, and that anointing is on them, and they call something out, and we already knew it, and we didn't tell them you're going through a hard time or you have something going in your life 
then that anointing is there to minister to you in that way because we didn't know it. But if one person is trying to call that out and say, you're the pastor here, and I say, you know what, this is going on in your life and this is happening in your life, well, you're going to think, yeah, well, you already knew that. Sure, you already knew that. But when you don't have the different gifts operating in different places and everybody's trying to do everything, well, then... Different people miss out on so much in their lives, and that's where the anointing gets cut short. Do you understand that? That's where the anointing gets cut short, and that's where it gets, lack of my better word, it gets dissed. And people think it doesn't work. Because a pastor that's not anointed necessarily so much to call something out is calling things out and the people are dissing it because nothing happened. So we need to be praying for the anointing to work in people's lives the way that it's supposed to work. And we need to start doing that as a church so that the anointing will start working the way that it's supposed to work. And we need to start praying as a church and as a whole, people out there on the Internet, people in Branson, that the anointing works in the people's lives the way that it's supposed to work so that we all come up to a higher level so that the corporate anointing, if we start believing that, like I said last week, that we're not all looking to the person to perform. We're not looking to our pastor out there if you're watching uh, e-members. We're not looking to our pastor to perform something. We're looking for God to do something. We're looking for God to be able to do something. I I put something in here from Keith's notes and uh, uh, in the God's Will to Heal book and I'm getting a little ahead of myself on that point because I want to get to the power gifts and the glory gifts right now. But I want to read this to you first. And you'll see what I'm talking about. Let's see if I can find it here because I know it's in here. I got as many pages as Keith does. I learned it honest. If I can get it to to open up here, let's see. They're stuck together. There it is. In Keith's book, God's Will to Heal, chapter 21, he says this. In Acts 19, God, he says, And God wrought special miracles. Does God do special things? He does. What makes something special? It's different. It doesn't happen every day. Can God do special things? Well, he is the head of the church. This is Keith. I'm reading out of the book. He is the head of the church. And he doesn't have to ask you or me if he wants to do something special. That sounds just like Keith, doesn't it? He does some special things by the hands of Paul. But he didn't say Paul wrought special miracles. Do you got it? He said he did special things through the hands of Paul. The reason I say that is because there are still people who are trying to say, well, Paul could do that because he had a special power to do that. No, God is the one doing it, but he used a man. He's still using men and women today because all he's doing, he began then and he is continuing to do today. 
God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his body, actually that word body is used for the word skin, were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs and aprons, and he just said hands. So he said, would contact the skin, and cloth would make a difference, and it does. The Holy Ghost in us, he said, would come on us, and he can even anoint us. That's what we're talking about, the corporate anointing. And he can anoint us. Uh, let's see where I'm at. Um, uh, especially. This sounds um, funny to some people, but it's the Bible. The anointed power can go into a cloth and stay in that cloth for a period of time like a battery. When that cloth is laid on the body of the oppressed or sick, that power can come out of that cloth and go into them and drive out uh, spirits of oppression and affect a healing. We're reading the Bible. That's special. And God does special things like Peter's shadow. That's special. And God, he, he gives gifts and he ministers anointing. And his anointings, and this is where I think ministers themselves have gotten confused. These anointings are not for the minister. Do you hear me? These anointings are not to benefit or profit the minister. These anointings are given to profit the people. They're to profit the congregations. They're to profit the church, the body of Christ. And so if you get, as the minister, if you get this big puffed up head, like Saul did that built him, what did it say? He built him a a shrine or monument or something to himself. What's the next thing that's going to happen to you? Down. So, because you're not the one anointing you. You're not the one that's causing anything to happen. You should keep it in real close to your heart that you didn't anoint you. And, and you can lose it as quickly as you get it. Because the very God that anoints you is the very God that can remove it from you. And so we need to be very humble about the fact that if we're looking for something, that we are looking for it to help others. Amen. And the people are looking to God. They're not looking to us because I could lay hands on you all day and rub your head bald. (laughs) Or Keith could. Or Brother Hagin used to say, how do you say it? I couldn't heal a gnat's wing or a fly's eyeball. Because you can't. You can't do anything without God's anointing. But with the anointing of God. When God anoints people to do stuff, miracles can happen. Miracles can happen. So we can believe in the anointing of God. So let's go on to the next thing, and let's talk about the power of God. Well, let's talk, yeah, let's talk about the power of God. Let's see if I can get my pages back sorted together now. Yeah, I got got it. Okay. The power of God. Luke 4, uh, 36. Because if you have the anointing of God like they did... Then what comes next? The power of God. Luke 4.36 says, And they were all amazed, amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, what, is, what word is this? 
For with authority and power He commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Because He had what? Authority and He had power. When you have authority to do something and you got power to do it, what's going to happen? It's going to happen. Okay, Luke 5, 17 says, And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching there, uh, there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, uh, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And what? The power of the Lord was present to heal them. That meant you could be sitting there in your chair and just like what we were singing at the beginning of the service, you could just be sitting there. And the, you could be sick as sick could be. And the power of the Lord could just go into you and heal you. And nobody didn't have to touch you. Nobody didn't have to pray for you. Nobody didn't have to believe with you. Nobody didn't have to anoint you with oil. Nobody didn't have to do anything for you. It didn't matter if you had sinned. It didn't matter if you had messed up. Because you know what? Then people messed up just like we messed up. But the power of the Lord was present to heal them. You know, because they were Pharisees and doctors of the law. And they were there to judge him. And they were there to find fault with him. And the Lord, the power of God was still present to do what? To heal them. Even them. Yes, yes, them. Even them. Luke 9, 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together. And he gave them. Now, wait a minute. Who gave what? He gave them power. Now, now, watch what happens here as I read you these things. He gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure disease. He gave them power to pray for people. Yes. And they could get healed and to cure diseases, leprosy, mm-hmm. blindness. Did they go do it? You yes. know they did. Yes, they Keep did. listening with me. Luke ten nineteen. Jesus is talking and it says, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all power of the enemy. It doesn't matter what was going on. They had power over it. And nothing by any means can hurt you. But now listen to the next verse. This is what I want you to get. Listen very carefully to the next verse, okay? Everybody listening, right? Put Branson on the screen. I want to see if they're listening. I don't want any confusion about this. Is the internet listening? Y'all look out there. See if they're listening. Are they listening, Branson? Are y'all listening? I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Are you listening? Okay, now we heard you. Okay. Acts 3, verse 12. Read this with me, please. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why 
marvel you at this? Or why look you so earnestly on us? As though, read this next part, as though by our own power or holiness, we had made this man to walk. What is he saying? It ain't us. It's God through us. It ain't us. We can't do nothing. But God through us can do everything. God through us is able to do anything and everything. God's anointing through us is able to heal you. God's anointing through us is able to set you free. God's anointing through us is able to deliver you. God's anointing through us is able to mend you or fix you or do whatever you need to do. We can't do nothing. But God's anointing can make you walk again. We can't do it. We're just men. But God's anointing can do it. Now look at Acts 8. Verse 14. I know when this was written, it was thinking about today. Let's keep reading. We'll go down several verses on this. Now when the apostles were at Jerusalem and heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who had, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the hands of the apostles, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay my hands, they may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Your money perish with you also, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart's not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps, though thy heart, uh, the thought of thine heart may be forgiven. Uh, for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which, I was, which you have spoken will come upon me. So he got it right in a hurry, didn't he? Amen. So what he's saying is, you can't buy this power with money. You can't, you can't get educated for it. You can't go to college to get it. You can't buy it with any form of anything. It is a gift of God. And it's a matter of your what? Heart. It's a matter of a person's heart. And it goes back to what we said last week. It matters what God knows you will do with it. 
It matters that God knows that when He tells you to do something, you will do it. It matters that God, when He says, do this, you're going to be quick to do exactly what He says to do, the way He says to do it, in the time He says to do it, exactly without changing anything. Just exactly the way He told Saul to do it. This power that's available, that was available to the disciples, that was available to to the ministers, this anointing, We're going somewhere. Are you still hanging in with me? All right. Let's keep going. 1 Corinthians 2.4. Let's just read this and then we're going to go on to the glory of God. It says, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but with demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Don't let your faith stand in the wisdom of men, but in what? That's the very thing we were talking about a few minutes ago. That when you sense that something is the anointing, don't just listen to what man is telling you. Check inside here. And when you sense inside you, I don't care if you were saved yesterday. I don't care if you've been saved 50 years. When you sense inside you here, yeah, that's God. That's God. That's God. Don't let any person, I don't care if they've been saved 50 years longer than you, and you get a check about it, you don't override that check. You know the anointing because the greater one lives inside of you and he will never lead you astray. That anointing lives inside of you and he will never lead you astray. Just because you've been saved a month doesn't mean that somebody that's been saved 50 years has a greater anointing inside of them than you do. Because the Holy Spirit inside of you will lead you in the right direction. And he'll tell you what's right for you. And nobody can be led for you like you can be led for you. Nobody can t- tell you what's right for you. Okay, let's go on to the glory of God like we were singing about earlier. Are you ready for the glory of God? Yes. Well, this is the part that you participate in as much as the others. Now, the power of God... And the anointing of God lead up to the glory of God. And this is the corporate anointing of God. I remember in traveling with Brother Hagen, a lot of times he would say, you know what, I see the glory of God back there. Some of y'all may have heard it. He'd say, I see the glory of God back there, and it's just rolling in like a cloud. It's it's hovering over that group of people right there, he'd say. And there it goes. It's coming down to the front. It's coming down to the front. And he'd say that a lot of times in services. And he said it so much that Keith got that song that we sang at the front of the service. And when the glory would appear... In the services, things would happen. 
people would get set free and things would happen. So let's talk about the glory for just a minute. Let's, let me read you some, some scriptures about it. Exodus 24, verse 16. And the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I don't know if you remember or not, but that's when he got the Ten Commandments. He was in the glory. And when he came down, his face shone. And that's when Aaron and them built the golden calf. And he broke the Ten Commandments. But he was in the glory of God. Well, the glory of God, how would you get the Ten Commandments without being in the presence of God? The glory of God is the presence of God. The glory of God is the manifest presence of God. And we'll see that as we go on. Exodus, verse 16, 10. And it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. We're going to read a few of these. Exodus 40, verse 34 and 35. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able, able to enter the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Number 1642. And it came to pass when the congregation was gathered against Moses and against Aaron that they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation and behold, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. 1 Kings 8, verse 10 through 11. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Exodus thirteen twenty one, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud and led them the way by night in the pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and by night. And he took not away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now, the glory of the Lord appearing and the manifest presence of God coming in and getting in the chair with you, what could happen to you? Could it set you free? Yes. Could it loose you from the things that had you bound? Yes. Could it give you wisdom? Yes. Could it give you the answers that you were looking for? Yes. 
You know, the devil takes decades to put chains on us and bind us up with things. But you know, it only takes God maybe like that quick to break all the things that the devil's bound us up with decade after decade after decade after decade after decade. And if we, as a group of people, were to begin to believe for the anointing and look to the Lord for the things that we were believing for, and His presence were to begin to come in and fill us up with what we were believing for, how long would it take for every person in here's needs to be met when the glory just came and sat on top of our heads? We'd have the wisdom to know what to do for our finances that Tom was talking about. We'd have the answers to know where to go to get the sales we needed. We'd have the answers to know to go what to do for the job people, the, our boss. We'd know exactly how to treat our boss that was so obnoxious to us. <laughs> We'd know exactly what to tell him. Because he'd give us the wisdom that we needed. In his presence is everything we need. In his presence. If you could sit there and talk to the Lord, that's what Moses did in his presence. He gave him the Ten Commandments. If you could sit there and talk to the Lord and he could give you every answer that you needed, what could be wrong in your life? If you could just soak in his presence, why wouldn't we want his presence? We should desire His presence. We should desire Him coming into our services. We should desire Him giving us our answers. We should desire His glory, His manifest presence. Let me show you a few examples of what happens when the glory or the manifest presence comes into a place. Would you like to know? Yes. Okay. Acts 4.29. Now, you think, has anybody ever seen anybody fall out under the power? Has anybody ever seen anybody shake under the power? Watch this. Acts 4.29. And the Lord, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Now, that's what you want your ministers to do, with all boldness, speak what he told them to speak. By stretching forth your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done in the name of your holy child, Jesus. And when they had what? The place was shaken where they were assembled. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spake the word of God with boldness. Now, how could that happen? Because they were all in one accord when they prayed. They were all praying for their ministers in one accord that they would be speaking the word, that they wanted the word, the true word, to come forth with boldness. They weren't thinking about their own things. God, do this for me. They wanted what God wanted. And that's where we have to get. We have to get off of our minds what I need, what I want, what's going to fix me, why I came to church. 
bills, my kids, my needs. They're mad at me. Oh, da, 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 da. And if we could ever just seek God and say, God, what you want. If we could ever just do that, then all of our needs would get met. Because that's what he, these people were doing. They were saying, Lord, stretch forth your hand to heal. Not us, but just stretch it forth. That signs and wonders would be wrought in the name of your holy child, Jesus. And they were in one accord. And when they prayed that, you shake. Not just the person shook, the whole building shook. Now that's a miracle. This place is on a solid concrete foundation. It wasn't an earthquake. It was the building shook by the power of God because they were in one accord. And God was doing miracles in their midst. Now look at this next one. If you don't think that was something, look at this next one. Acts 16. Verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas. Do y'all remember Paul and Silas? They prayed. And they did what? Sang praises to God. They weren't saying, oh, me, I'm in this jail. We're going to die in here. No, they sang praises to God. And the prisoners heard them. What do you got to praise God about? You're in here in these shackles just like us, in this dungeon just like us. How are you praising God? But Paul and Silas at midnight. How many of you had a midnight hour in your life? What have you been doing? Oh, God, help me, help me, help me. No, that's not what they were doing. They, Paul and Silas, prayed and they sang praises to God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly, 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 say suddenly. There was a great earthquake. And the foundation shook. And the prisoners were shaken. And immediately the doors were open. Now listen to me at this next part. Now, when there's an earthquake and the doors are open, I can understand that. That's easy for me to understand. If there's an earthquake, the doors might open. But I ain't never seen an earthquake that's going to break the prisoners' bands off their arms. Have you? No. Every prisoner's bands was loosed. Now, what would happen to you if at your midnight hour you sang praises and you got up at midnight and things were bad and things looked bad and they were horrible and you got up at midnight instead of laying in the bed and wallowing in your problems and you let the anointing come in and you let the power of God come in and you started singing praises to God, could he loose you from whatever your problem was? Could the glory of God come right there in your bedroom and set you free from whatever your problem was? Is he big enough to do that for you? I think he is. I think he's big enough to fix whatever's wrong with you. 
If he would do it for Paul and Silas, he would do it for you. Because he's no respecter of persons. And his anointing is the same then. His power is the same then. And his manifested presence or glory is the same today. And if he'll break bands off then, he'll break them off today. And his anointing is true. And his anointing will work in a minister. And that very same anointing is at work and alive in your life under one condition. When you lay there in that bed that night. And you say, oh God, why? Just like Tom Hunter told up here in this opera. He didn't know what I was going to preach tonight. And I was thinking, sitting there thinking, yeah, that's it. And God looks at him and says, or answers him and says, I'm not. I'm the God of abundance. And you quit saying that. It's the first place it starts is with this mouth of ours. And God tells you, get up out of that bed and dance around that bed. God, my husband's going to think I'm weird. So what if he thinks you're weird? People think I'm weird all the time. But he'll be really happy tomorrow morning when he wakes up and you're healed, weird. He'll be shouting weird with you. I'm telling you. He'll say, what was you doing last night? I was shouting in the glory. You can't pay attention to what people think. You've got to obey God if you want his anointing working in your life. But too many people are afraid, just like Saul was afraid of what the people were going to think. It's time we forget about what somebody else is going to think and we let God's anointing work in our lives. And the minute that we begin to do that, God's going to be able to use a lot more people for what he needs done. He may tell you to get up off your duff and go to the hospital and start praying for people. Go to the hospital and start baking cakes and cut a slice and take it to this person and cut another slice and take it to this person. He may tell you to go to the children's home and start praying for those people or take them a toy. I don't know what he's going to tell you to do, but I guarantee you he ain't going to tell you to sit at home on your duff. That's right. That's right. He ain't never done it. He ain't going to start. He's going to tell you what to do. Okay, look at this one. Second Chronicles 5.13. Are you getting stirred up at all? Yes. God's a good God. Second Chronicles 5.13. And it came to pass. Say, it came to pass. As the trumpeters and the singers were as... Fifteen. Huh? What does it matter to God if we are as one? A lot. Why do we keep hearing that? Why does that matter to Him? If everybody has an opinion about the way things need to be done. If everybody has an idea about what needs to happen. 
He needs some one accord. He needs some people that will do what he says do. And he needs somebody that will just do it exactly the way that he said do it. And he needs some people that will trust, some people that are over him. And when somebody says this is the anointing, they're going to say, this is the anointing, let's follow it. We could be that people, guys. We could be that people that people look at and say, did you see what happened at that church? Did you see that people, those people that were in there, they had cancer. And they are having people that have had cancer that are like popcorn getting healed. Like popcorn getting healed. They're just walking in the door and the anointing's hitting them. Nobody's laying hands on them. Nobody's praying for them. It's just the anointing because they're in one accord and they're believing God that the anointing's going to hit them when they walk in the door. And just like popcorn, everybody that walks in the door with cancer, they're getting testimonies. Popcorn. Anointing. 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 A cancer's healing, 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 healing. Everybody that walks through that door with cancer is getting healed. Everybody. Cancer's nothing to God. Did you know that? He's the healer. Cancer, I mean, it just heals just like that. The minute that they walk through the door, because the love is here. Love is here, and the anointing is here. We're all in one mind and one accord. And the anointing is here. And we believe in it. Everybody in here believes in it. What's wrong with that? Everybody in Branson believes in it. Everybody on the Internet believes in it. We're not afraid of the devil. We know that the anointing of God is bigger than the devil. And we don't have one person in here that doubts that. One accord. Just because it's said from the pulpit right here, you should be able to say, you know what, they said it. I don't understand it all, but they said God is bigger than cancer. Okay, that settles it for me. God's bigger than cancer. That's, that bears witness with my spirit. God's bigger than cancer. God's bigger than cancer. I believe that. God's bigger than cancer. We all in agreement. God's bigger than cancer. Anybody in here that has cancer, it's going away. Going away, going away, going away, going away. And anybody that walks through the door that has cancer, going away, going away, going away. Because the anointing and the power and the glory and the manifest presence of God is in this place. And He's bigger than cancer. And in one accord, things happen. Bands break off. Do you think around somebody's mind it's a band if they're fighting cancer? What do you think it's doing to their mind? Oh, God, cancer. I have to take the chemo. I have to take that. Do I I take it? Do I not? What do I do? Money, money, money. Doctors. What do I do? That's a band. It's a band. But they can walk in here and the manifest presence of God and the glory of God healed just that quick. Just healed. Don't ever have to think about it again. Just healed. Let's finish reading this. And the singers were as one. And to make one sound to be heard. In praising and thanking the Lord. Where's our singers? They get lost? Get up there, singers. In praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music and praised the Lord for saying, He is good and His mercy endures forever. That then the house was filled with a cloud. Even the house of the Lord. So that the priest could not stand to minister. 
for reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house. Do we believe in the glory of the Lord? I think we do. I think we believe in the glory of the Lord. So when we get in one accord, whether it's singing, when we're singing, and all of our minds, huh? Can we actually sing? And every single one of us in here, on the Internet, in Branson, actually be singing with all of our focus on the Lord at the same time? Do you know how many people that is that would have all of their focus, that you're not thinking about what you're going to eat afterwards, you're not thinking about your bills, you're not thinking about this pain in your side, you're not thinking about your mother-in-law, you're not thinking about your kids, you're not thinking about what you got to do tomorrow, you're not thinking about going home, you're not thinking about how far the drive is, you're not thinking about your car payment. You're actually thinking about for one whole song. What can happen? Why is it not happening? Why are we not seeing it more? Huh? Is it the Lord's fault? People are screaming to the Lord. Lord, show us. Lord, manifest yourself. Lord, do this for us. What's he saying? One accord. Obey me. One accord. Obey me. One accord. Obey me. He's not waiting on, we're not waiting on him. He's waiting on us. Amen. And you know what? We could be that church. We could be that one. I desire it with all my heart to see his presence come in and every person in here's needs met and every person in here be healed. We don't have to pray till Jesus comes back for things to happen. All we have to do is obey him and get in one accord. That's it. That's all it takes. Can we do it? Let me read you these other two verses and we'll stand up. Isaiah 10:27 says, And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken off of your shoulders and his yoke shall be off your neck and the yoke shall be what? Destroyed because of the anointing. Destroyed. Not broken. Totally destroyed because of the anointing. Psalm 1611. This is the one you're going to like. Thou shalt... Thou will show me your path. How many of you want to know his path? How many of you ever want to know what you're supposed to do next? Do we do this? Do we do that? Okay. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, pleasures forevermore. You know his path. You've got joy and pleasures forevermore. In his presence. I think we can be there all the time. Every time we come together. That the minute the song service starts, we make it a point that we shut everything else off and we get in one accord. His glory can come in here every single time we join together. Here, the internet, we can start seeing things happen. It's a matter of us doing that. And it's a matter of us bringing our minds back together. Stand with me if you will, please.
You guys got something to sing? Let's sing something then.